Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today we are talking all about Chardonnay. Yes, it's been a while since we've talked about wine, so we're back with one of the more popular white wines, and we'll go into a great deal more detail on that later. Certainly hope so. That's the whole part of our podcast. Yes, that's right. Well, not just the popularity of it, though. There's there's more to it than that. So, I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome to another episode. Let's get started, because I'm really keen to try this Chardonnay that's sitting on the table, breathing. Yeah, so while while it breathes, let's um, open the way we often do by talking about what it is. So Chardonnay is a green-skinned grape variety used in the production of white wines, wouldn't, wouldn't you know it? And uh, <laughs> the variety apparently originated in the... Burgundy wine region of France, but of course is now grown all over the world. And uh, wines made with Chardonnay grapes uh, actually, like a lot of wines, have a flavor that varies depending on the climate in which they're made. Uh, mm. In a cool climate, they tend to be uh, clean and crisp with high acidity, while those produced in warmer climates have uh, characteristics of honey and tropical fruits. Uh, so, So which variety do you think is... Or which style do you think is more prominent in Australia? Do you think that those honey notes are going to be more prominent in Australian Chardonnays? Well, I think with the, a lot of Australian Chardonnays being grown in South Australia, New South Wales, mm. they're going to be the cooler climates. But I know that Chardonnays are also produced in the Margaret River region of Western Australia. Which is not especially cool. Which is not especially cool. That would be a, a warmer climate. Right. Because the Hunter Valley is very popular for Chardonnays as well. And that's not necessarily cool. It's just not hot, which is... Mm. A, apparently, you don't want to grow Chardonnay in a hot environment. Either cool or warmer. Warmish. Yeah, but not <laughs> cool hot. Or, cool or not cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool or not. And uh, <laughs> what we are drinking today... The uh, Made by Mobs Above 600 Orange Chardonnay Mm. is um, from a cool climate. Orange. Orange is a cool town. Mm, It it is, yeah. It's um, in uh, northern New South Wales. I've been to Orange before. It's, uh, there's not much there, really. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Interestingly, though, the, um, the Above 600 in the name of this wine comes from the fact that uh, the lowest point in Orange is 600 metres above sea level. Hmm. So it is growing above 600. Above 600 metres above sea level. Yeah, where yeah. where the name comes from. And cool. uh, the uh, the winemaker who produces this, uh, Steve Mobs, grows hmm. it um, at... Made, made uh, by Mobs. Mm, made by Mobs, yeah, grows it at his, at his vineyard there. And uh, he describes it... And I'm going to do his description before we taste it and describe it mm. to see how, how close it is to... Maybe you should describe it while I taste it. ...to how it. Steve describes it. That's that's probably a good idea. He describes it as a subtle wine with hints of citrus and stone fruits with great line and length from the natural acidity of fruits grown in the cool climate of orange that uh, apparently it's aged in oak barrels 
and uh, that gives it an extra complexity and structure. So, I can definitely taste the citrus and stone fruit. Yeah, definitely stone fruit. I sort of, I can sort of pick that honey, those honeyish notes. And I think I saw somewhere that a oh, I'll save that for later. Mm. And yeah, there's a sweetness even on the nose of it, uh, a sort of a fruity citric sweetness mm. just on the nose. And when you first taste it, yeah, there's again that that flavour there. And it's got a, it seems to have a little bit of bite to it, like the flavours seem to be most pronounced in the the middle of your tongue instead mm. of the front or the back. Yeah, it's interesting because it's sweet but a little bitey. And not uh, mm. not too sweet. Yeah, it's got that little bit of acid in it. Uh, if you remember from our, our food pairings episode where we talked a lot about different elements of wine and food and how they work together, the yeah, the acid notes are, are there. Yeah, I would say uh, helps to balance the flavor out quite, oh, for quite sure. nicely. For sure. It's not too strong to overpower it and make it vinegary. Yeah, but yeah, it, he's right. It is a subtle wine. Yeah, the the flavors don't smack you like on some wines. It, mm. it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's nice. I like you it. You can take your time with. So let's come back to talking some. Well, I got I got some more history. Yep. So, uh, most for a lot of its history, there was an assumed connection between Chardonnay and Pinot Noir or Pinot Blanc. Because they they were found in pretty much the same region for centuries. The um the winemakers, some of them assumed it was just the same grape because it had the same bunch look, same leaf or similar leaf structure. But this guy Pierre Gallet, he he disagreed with this assessment, believing that Chardonnay was not related to any other major variety, and so people started listening to him and. They started noticing these, noticing the differences between the Pinot Noir, Pinot Blanc, and Chardonnay, and started making wines based on this particular grape. It's also a bit more of a mystery because Chardonnay's origins were uh, obscured by vineyard owners in Lebanon and Syria who claimed that the grape's ancestry could be f- traced into the Middle East traced back to the Middle East, where it was introduced to Europe by returning crusaders. But, like a lot of folklore, there's not much history, sorry, not much evidence to support that theory. Another theory is that it originated from a indigenous vine found in Cyprus. Mm, and uh, as with a lot of grapes, of course, because records are poor from those older times... There's really no way of knowing. I mean, when for centuries they thought that it was another grape, how on earth would you tell where it came from when maybe they're thinking that it was an entirely different grape that came from there? Right? Well, modern DNA fingerprinting done at the University of California, it now they they now think that Chardonnay is the result of a natural crossing between Pinot Noir and Jouet Blanc. I have no idea if I, if I pronounce this right. Uh, G-O-U-A-I-S. Jouais? Gouais? Gouais? I, I, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm, it's totally French. Yeah. I need a, need a French... We need a French translator because we talk a lot about... Uh, we, t- we use a lot of French words in... Mm, in podcast. wine episodes, yeah. yeah. Wine episodes especially. So, 
it's not surprising that the that they got confused between the Chardonnay grape and the Pinot Noir grape. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, when the Chardonnay grape first came to Australia in uh, the... In 1930. 1930s, yep. And winemakers first started using it, they didn't really know what to do with it. They treated it much the same as other white wine grapes. Mm. And it wasn't until the 1950s that they began treating it as its own variety and going to effort of growing it in different ways that would make the best of it. And then it grew in popularity in Australia at that time. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't until the, the 1970s where people really started to take notice of Chardonnay. Everyone was looking at Sauvignon Blanc and all the other red wines. And... Yeah, and yeah, and then of course that growth continued into the 80s and 90s. And on it continues. While we're talking about this, let's uh, let's mention that it is one of the most widely planted grape varieties in the world. While we're talking about it, it's important yeah, that, to mention that's, that. That's incredible. And even in Australia, it's Chardonnay is the the most widely planted white wine grape variety in Australia and the third most planted overall behind Shiraz and Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, globally, there's around 520,000 acres of uh, of Chardonnay vineyards. So I, I just noticed a new note to the Chardonnay. It's starting As it warms up, I'm starting to notice more toasty flavours. Have you noticed that yet? Um, I haven't had too much of it. I'm going to... I've noticed that the notes changed slightly. Mm. I I picked it up just then and had a had a sniff as I'm about to have a drink and yeah I thought mm. wait there's toast there now yeah yeah it's um it's evolving that's great I love it when that happens yeah so the uh, a Chardonnay came to Australia in uh, eighteen thirty two with James Busby, if you remember from our Sav Blanc episode. Yeah, who talk- brought a uh, lot of different grape varieties mm. over with him. Yeah. And now it but yeah, it didn't really take off until the nineteen fifties. And the first commercially successful Chardonnay was produced by Murray Tyrell in the Hunter Valley in nineteen seventy one. Where uh Tyrell's vineyard planted wines sorry, planted Chardonnay cuttings that he quote, borrowed from Penfold's experimental plantings. So he, he fucking pinched it, the dirty bastard. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, he, from Penfold's experimental plantings by hopping over their barbed wire, barbed wire fence one night and pruning their vines. <laughs> right. Well, he was just taking a cutting from the neighbours. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a normal thing to do, surely. What a jerk. I'm, I'm sure... Um, What's his name from Penf- Penfold's Grange was thrilled when he realised that. Yeah, yes, without a doubt. But yeah, certainly throughout all the time since it began, though, the popularity increased and increased and increased, and it kept growing in the 80s and 90s. Mm. But yeah, by 1990, it was the most widely planted white wine grape variety. And that has continued, but the popularity in the early 2000s to now has suffered slightly it's starting to mm. improve again M- mm. mistakes were made mm. it was discovered that wooded or oaked varieties were popular so they began producing 
a lot of them. Yeah, they made a shitload. And then um, a number of over-oaked Chardonnays with really unbalanced flavours flooded the market. And, of course, that stopped new drinkers who tried these over-oaked Chardonnays and mm. went, Ugh. And other people who like uh, a wooded or oaked Chardonnay and went, too much, these flavours don't work. Yeah. It's like with the uh, Shiraz's. When they started getting really popular, they, the winemakers decided to make these incredible blockbuster Shirazes with huge amounts of flavor, but also huge amounts of bite. So they would almost eat your face off. Yeah, so it, it just didn't balance out, which mm. is clearly where this Chardonnay that we're drinking now has some... Um, it's not made that mistake. I mean, it's not, it's not a wooded Chardonnay. It's not oaked. Actually, it is oaked. It is he does, oaked. He does produce them in French oak barrels. No, a, but well, the the process of oaking is different from being produced in barrels. We need to talk about that. Mm. So there's two. Well, let's let's get into how Chardonnay is made because there's two different factors in Chardonnay winemaking. One is whether or not to use malolactic fermentation, and the other is the degree of oak influence used in the wine. So with malolactic fermentation, or MLF, the harder malic acid gets converted into a softer lactic acid, So, and that creates a, a butteriness that is associated with some styles of Chardonnay. So wines that do not go through the MLF have uh, a more green or unripe apple uh, flavor to it. And uh, oaks, so for whether it's oaked or unwooded or wooded or unoaked or oaked, uh, they they introduce that in the in the form of barrel aging. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, I'm, you might have been right. I think you're right. Sorry. Um. So oak can be introduced during fermentation or after in the form of barrel aging. So the the two ways they can do it is one one is they add oak chips in the fermentation process or they put it in oak barrels. I would hazard a guess that that's uh, partially where that toastiness comes from. Mm. Uh, barrel aging or the oak chips can int- introduce caramel, cream, smoke, spice, coconut cinnamon, cloves, and vanilla flavors. Mm, and of course, over-oaking can make it seem as though it's been left sitting next to a fire for a day. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to be going for that flavor. Yeah, and you need to balance those flavors appropriately. Mm. And um, yeah, so that that lack of balance in over-oaking, of course, resulted in a huge decline in popularity of Chardonnay. And... Um, it was uh, so substantial that it resulted in a 13% drop in production in Australia in 2016 so that um, they weren't producing as much because they, of course, weren't going to sell as much. They were afraid they wouldn't sell as much, so they reduced production. Mm. And um, that was such a such a marked reduction that it actually dragged the overall white wine production in Australia for that period Oof. down by 4%. That's a big change when we're talking about millions of litres. Yeah, so li- literally reducing the production of Chardonnay because of its drop in popularity 
reduced the production of all white wines in the country by 4% because Oof. we produced so much Chardonnay. Yeah. But it's still possibly the most popular... Well, it's definitely one of the most popular. There's like nine varieties. It's mm, got to it, be one of. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like in uh, sales in 2017 were, of course, affected by the reduction in popularity and everything. But it was that recent. Oh, well, it's coming back up now. Gotcha. Of course, it's coming back up. But um, sales increased by uh, 1% over the de- decreased, sorry, by 1% over the previous year. Mm. With Australians still consuming 224 million litres of white wine. Oof. That's a lot of wine. Yeah. And, uh, well, Sauvignon Blanc held the top spot as the top-selling white right. wine variety there you go. In, in Australia, but it was outperformed by Chardonnay in all price points above $15 a bottle. So while mm. Sauv Blanc takes it overall, Chardonnay takes out the top spot for premium white wines. How interesting. Yeah, which suggests that they've decided to try and get the flavor profile back to a point where people are happy with it and grab a piece of that premium wine pie. Mm. Well, if it's, yeah, the premium drinks go for more, so if you make more profit on them, why not? Wine not. Yeah, well, and uh, <laughs> funnily enough, compared to the rest of the world, and if you are one of our many listeners who is not in Australia, you'll uh, undoubtedly be interested to know that chances are you like red more than we do. Because mm. while we love a good red wine, it's less popular here than it is in the rest of the world. In fact, in Australia, the um, only 40% of Australian wines sold in Australia are red. And white makes up 45% of sales, or 56% if you include sparkling whites. But of the wines that Australia exports, 60% are red which was an increase over 50% each previously to make up for demand. Well, it makes sense because uh, red wine is more popular in the rest of the world than it is in Australia. And white wine, like Australia being a mostly hot country, people want to drink white wine because it, it chilled. We put it in the fridge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's interesting to think that we, of all of that wine that we're that we're drinking, Australia produces 1.37 billion liters of wine a year. Holy shit! And we sell 500 million liters of that domestically in Australia. Wow! So we export an awful lot of wine. So yeah, if you're an overseas listener, you will have a good opportunity to find an Australian wine. Hmm, which means that this information you're picking up from us on regions and what you can expect mm. from what region should still be beneficial. And in fact, you can look really clever in front of your friends by knowing something about these imported wines. Yeah. And from what I've, what I've heard, Australia has some of the best wines in the world. Mm. I mean, we, we don't have... We don't, I don't think we can compete with... Wines from France, but because they're like the home of wine. Well, that said, though, our top drop for today actually took out the Platinum Best in Show at the World Decanter Wine Awards this year. An Australian wine? And it's Australian. Ah, fantastic. Yes, it is the uh, Tapanapa Tears Vineyard Chardonnay 2016. (laughs) And it's got a great name, too. 
Yeah. And um, it is from Piccadilly Valley in South Australia. Fantastic. So that's a cool region. It's a cool region, yep. And uh, apparently it's described as an immensely intense white wine with uh, ripe white fruits and botanicals and notes of dried banana, avocado and freshly baked cake (laughs) and uh, with buttery notes and a good elegant finish. I do have to wonder how they come up with these flavor notes. Mm, well, that that is actually not a description that was given by the company themselves. Oh. That's a description that was given by one of the Decanter Awards judges. Right. So, that's what he tasted. That's what he tasted. He tasted cake. He tasted cake. Well, <laughs> notes of cake. So notes he, of cake. He smelled cake. Smelled cake. And, uh, yeah, as, as well as the Platinum Best in Show, it also won the Gold and Critics' Choice Awards at the 2018 Sommelier Wine Awards. So this is, oh, and gold at the Drinks Business 2017 International Chardonnay Masters. Plus like 16 other awards. Yeah. So <laughs> this Australian wine from Piccadilly Valley in South Australia. So what's it called? Outperformed. It outperformed and came up in, I mean, to, to get platinum best in show, hmm. that means it is among the top 50 Chardonnays in the world. Wow. Good stuff. And you said it was pretty good value. Yeah, that particular bottle I was able to find online for about eighty dollars a bottle, which well, it's, for it's up there for something that's among the best Chardonnays in the on the planet. Yeah, that's not terrible. No, because when you're looking at some wines that win best in show, we're we're talking about one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's yes, it's one mm. of our more expensive top drops as far as wine goes. Mm. But but it's it's worth it. We yeah, re- we reckon. Yes, it, it certainly looks to be very much one worth trying. If I can get my hands on a bottle, I intend to try it because mm. anything that can win that many awards and outperform the French, the Italians, the Spanish. Yeah, it must be good. Must be good. Let's talk about some food pairings. Like what? Yes. Should we, what should we eat while we sip our Chardonnay? And obviously, the standard of fish is uh, a given. Yeah, and uh, of course, cheese. And uh, of course, cheese. But I think the the cheese you would use is what you'd need to think about because mm. of the sweetness and the fruitiness. Well, this article by Wine Folly says that you should use soft cheeses or semi-soft. Uh, mild goats or cow cheese. Yes, yeah, soft cheese or semi-soft uh, goat cheese. Yeah, so like a, a camembert or a brie. Hmm. Uh, it also recommends fish with herbs. All your all your normal stuff, your, your yeah. steamed uh, bar- barramundi. Yeah, nice little bit of battered whiting, perhaps. Hmm. Or probably even salmon. Yeah, It'd probably go well. Probably go well with sushi. To be honest, mm, I that... reckon. I reckon this wine would go well with sushi. And I think you're probably right. Mm. So it also, this article also recommends things like you know poultry, chicken breast, turkey breast, uh, pork loin. So you you not bacon, of course, because that's got a strong flavour. You'd have, I would say, tempranillo with that one. I don't know. I'm just mm. guessing. Though if you were if you were going to have a white with it, maybe uh, a Riesling or a Pinot Grigio, mm. a, a stronger flavored white. Although Chardonnay is supposed to be the strongest flavored white, 
Mm. Which is interesting because it's for a strong because it I mean it is a strong flavored wine, but at the same time it's very subtle. This particular this one is particular one, yeah. because it, and it can be mm. like it's it all depends on what the winemaker did with it. I think yeah because it's still they're strong flavors and you know they're there, but there's a subtle complexity to it. Definitely, which would get lost by eating bacon or steak. Yeah. Or um, roast chicken. Yes, exactly. You'd want simple flavours hmm. to, to accompany the complexity of the wine. Yeah, or more subtle flavours like uh, tarragon, parsley, thyme, marjoram, shallots, that sort of thing. And for vegetables, things like peas, zucchini, asparagus, white mushrooms, truffles, and almonds. I mean, I could see this going really well with, like... Uh, stir fry, maybe, not like one that's not too sweet, or a uh, a mushroom risotto. Yeah, yeah, no, I could definitely see it going well with mm. a with a mushroom risotto. Very, very nice. It's it's light on the palate. Like even though it's one of the strongest whites, it's still light on the palate. Mm, of course, this uh, well, this particular one. Yeah, is Chardonnay is of course one of it's one of the noble grapes. Yes. One yeah, of, one of the one of the eighteen noble grapes, one of the nine noble whites. Yeah, behind um, when I find the list, behind Viognier and Semillon. So Chardonnay, according to this list, is a, a full-bodied dry white wine. Mm, and that that I would agree with. It is crisp and not particularly wet on the palate. Mm. You know, in as much as a liquid cannot be wet. <laughs> <laughs> But in, in the flavor profile, yeah. I although that that was really interesting when I when I first saw descriptions of wines being dry, and I thought, why would you call the liquid dry? But a dry wine leaves your palate dry after you finish drinking it. Yeah, it's in the aftertaste. That yeah, like if you have a, a Shiraz, you can have a sip, and then your mouth feels like you've just eaten a half dozen cotton buds. <laughs> Yeah, though a really fleshy, full-bodied red can leave you feeling like you've just had a piece of fruit or something. Yes, precisely. And that, that's that. I thought that was really interesting when I first started drinking wines or drinking alcohol. Like. Yeah, I think it um, it is one of the more interesting things about the ways that we can be affected by drinks. Hmm, for sure. So we have an odd drop today. Yes, our odd drop is the Madfish Gold Turtle Chardonnay. There's a lot of aquatic animals in there. Yeah, Madfish, Gold Turtle, <laughs> Chardonnay. And um, it is produced using grapes uh, from the Margaret River region of Western Australia. Hmm. So it would be a Chardonnay that would be more on the on the honeyed side. Right. Because I, I believe that's a, a warmer region. That said, Margaret River, I mean, Western Australia in general tends to be hot during the day and then cool at night. Mm. And that's why Australian Tempranillos worked well, because it's hot days, cool nights. It's got the best of both worlds. So it's, I would say Margaret River isn't hot, hot, but it's definitely warmer than average. Yeah, so it it would potentially end up giving a very different, very interesting wine that is maybe mm. a mix of the best of cool and warm produced Chardonnays. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be keen to try to compare the difference between a Margaret River Chardonnay and, say, 
the uh, Hunter Valley Chardonnay. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And uh, certainly they, they describe the gold turtle Chardonnay as um, displaying opulent honeyed peach flavors with a texture that lingers on the palate. So if you remember back to the beginning of the episode, Mikkel said that Chardonnays from warmer climates have honey notes to their flavors. Yeah, and certainly they're, they're saying that this does have honey notes to its mm. flavors, but then they're also saying that it's got uh, peach. Peach? Peach is a sweet fruit. Peach, peach is a sweet fruit, yes. Yeah, and so, yeah, warmer climates end up with honey and tropical fruit flavors. Mm. And while I wouldn't mm. call peach really a tropical fruit, and you, mm. you expect to get sort of citric fruit flavors from... Well, citrus, is, oranges are a winter fruit, or a cool, cold climate fruit. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and so this is peach. So it sounds it sounds interesting because the the cool climate, yeah, tends to have high acidity and um, clean and crisp. And it sounds as though this may have some of those properties with the peach, because I would expect a little bit of acidity if there's a peach flavor, but. Perhaps not, though it is um, it is available. I um, I found that it is carried the the Madfish Gold Turtle Chardonnay is carried by our favorite bottle shop. Well, that's so good. if you want to try out our top drop, it is easy to find. Unlike oh, sorry, our odd drop, it is easy to find. Unlike our top drop, which while I was able to find it online, it's in the more obscure online sellers. Mm, interesting. Why? I wish they would not do that. If they're going to make something a a fantastic wine, if it's going to win a lot of awards, make it available for everybody. Yeah. And or, or perhaps those people that go to these wine shows are like, oh, that won the top drop? I'll take 500. Yeah, and I suppose that, that does raise the question, is it... Is it a case of the stores not wanting them or of them not wanting to be in those stores? Hmm. Good point. Good. Yeah, perhaps they, they want to... Because obviously supply and demand affects price. And if they say, hey, I'm really good, I want to drive my price up, I'll make myself harder to find. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Although, I don't know, they can probably set whatever price they want. It's no, a, when you've won a, that many awards. It's a pretty yeah. captive market. Yeah, that's that's true, and mm. people will either buy it or not. Uh, I haven't got any anything else. No, that's uh, that's all I've got for today as well. So, before we kick into the plugs, let's uh, mention that our next episode will be about Scotch whiskey. Scotch whiskey. It's, We're going going back to whiskey again. It's the whiskey we haven't done yet. Yeah, I know it seems a bit whiskey to go back to that, but <laughs> I'm willing to take that whisk. <laughs> I'm not. Let's do it. We'll go back to whiskey. Let's go about Scotch whiskey. It'll be great. It'll be great. I'm I'm excited because Scotch is my favorite spirit. Yeah, and in fact, I would have to say it's it's at the top for me as well. Mm. It's it's up there. And we'll go. Let's let's not talk too much about that because I could get right. I could get into it right now. Honestly, oh, I'm, me too. I'm excited about talking yeah. about Scotch. Yeah, I'm excited to find out what we're going to taste next week because I don't know yet. Yeah, no, I I want to know. I I want it now. Mm. So, if you enjoyed the episode, 
let us know. Send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, A Good Drop Podcast. Uh, we're on iTunes or your your favourite podcast app as A Good Drop All About Alcohol. Mm, but iTunes isn't iTunes anymore. Ah, oh, it's Apple Podcasts. It's Apple Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts now. Yep. Can't get that, can't get those confused. I still get those confused. Yeah, we're, we're still getting those confused. Yeah. Why, why must you rebrand things, Apple? <laughs> uh, you can also find us on our website, agooddrop.com.au. Yep, and uh, if you're interested to catch our last three episodes in video form, then you can yeah. also find us on YouTube. You'll be able to see our faces. Yeah, though only for that only for that episode, we will only be, for the time being at least, videoing our blind taste tests. Mm. And we'll see how they go. If they get nice and popular, then we'll upload more videos. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, so let, let us know what you want to hear or see from us. And uh, we're, we're always open to feedback. Yeah. Let us know your favourite drinks, your funny stories, and we'll... We might read a few on the air. Yeah, so until next time. Until then, cheers. Cheers.